Welcome to the Christ the King podcast. I am Pastor Michael McGinley of Christ the King Lutheran Church right here in Spencer, Iowa, and we are a congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, coming to you this 12th of December as we are set to celebrate God A, the third Sunday in Advent, also known as the Sunday of St. John the Baptist in prison from Matthew 11. The sermon this morning, however, comes from 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5, the epistle lesson, and we'll see how today's pastors are like John the Baptist and how they are to prepare the way. But to start off the podcast, we look to our congregation at prayer and the Divine Service Catechesis at the box at the top of the front page. And as we continue to look at the Divine Service, we look at the Office of the Word within the Divine Service, and within that, the Psalmody, which begins the Office of the Word. Within the Psalmody, there is the Introit and the Curie, which we've covered in the past few weeks. And today we look at the Gloria in Excelsis. The name Gloria in Excelsis is Latin, and it comes from the night of Christ's birth, when the angels appeared to the shepherds and sang, glorifying God. So then, the first hymn sung in the divine service proper is this hymn, the Gloria, which was not written by a man, but which came down to man from heaven through the angels. Now, part of the waiting for Christ's advent is learning to wait from Old Testament Israel. They did not have this hymn of the Gloria, because they waited for our Lord's incarnation and birth. Likewise, likewise, then, we do not sing the Gloria during Advent, as we wait with the Old Testament people, except our waiting is for our Lord's coming, either at the altar or in his return in glory, whereas their waiting was for the incarnation. But our waiting is shared with them. The church returns to singing the Gloria on Christmas Eve when she will sing with the angels from Luke 2, when we read from that gospel on Christmas Eve. The Gloria is a hymn of adoration and praise, celebrating God's glory and the manifestation of his Son in the Incarnation. Since it is a hymn of celebration, the Gloria is also omitted during the season of Lent, beginning on Ash Wednesday, due to its penitential character. And then, the glory is sung again on Easter when our Lord is risen from the grave. We celebrate with this hymn. Now, you can see from on the congregation of prayer how the Gloria can be outlined and what is in the Gloria. First, there is the adoration of God the Father in praise and thanksgiving. Words and adoration, which the church makes her own every Sunday now. Then there is adoration of God the Son, which acknowledges that this only begotten Son of God is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, and that he is the Lord, the Christ, the Lamb of God. And then, after that, the Son of God is being petitioned. He is being asked as one who procures mercy by taking away the sin of the world, as one who reigns on the throne of his cross at the right hand of God the Father. We're asking him to give us the mercy that he earned. And then finally, the Gloria ends with praise to God the Son, who, by his divinity, is equal in holiness, power, and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and who, for coming in great humility for our salvation, is the reason for our praise. This song from heaven is one we will very well sing with the angels in heaven when we are taken from this veil of tears in this life to our Lord in heaven. It's one we're going to sing again when we are risen with him on the last day. This is a hymn, then, 
which the angels sing with the church militant here on earth and with the church triumphant in heaven. We all sing it together. And that's the Gloria. Now we turn to our matin service and the hymn of invocation on Jordan's bank, the Baptist cry. Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. Behold, the King cometh. O come, let us worship him. Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all. Gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. See 
is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. Behold, the King cometh. O come, let us worship him. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. 
the Lord is at hand. The Old Testament lesson for this third Sunday in Advent is written in the 40th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, beginning at the first verse. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry! And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the godliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord your God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with the young. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the fourth chapter of the first epistle to the Corinthians, beginning at the first verse. Brothers, let a man think of us as Christ's servants, the stewards of God's mysteries. Here, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by man's judgment. Yes, I don't judge my own self, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each man will get his praise from God. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Thou that dwellest between the cherubims, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock. Alleluia, stir up thy strength, and come and save us. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the eleventh chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now, when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you he who comes, or should we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is he who finds no occasion for stumbling in me. As these went their way, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and much more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Amen, I tell you, among those who are born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the baptizer. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. In his days shall Judah be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. And this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Lord spoke to the crowds concerning John the Baptist, saying, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Could I not ask the same questions of all of you listening this morning? What did you go out to see in church this Sunday morning? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in a nice expensive suit and tie. What then did you come out this morning to see? Now, I've seen myself in the mirror. You can't see me over the podcast. So I know you didn't come out to see my supermodel good looks or my incredible charisma or how I would look in a gorgeous white alb. No, none of that. Instead, hear what Christ tells the crowds about John. They went out to hear the prophet one who speaks the word of God and baptizes at God's command. That's what they came out for. So great was this, so great was John among the prophets that no one among those born of women were greater than John. John then was greater than even Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Yet the one greater than John 
is the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, who is Christ himself, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, in the greatest humility. Christ, who came from his throne in heaven to be nursed by a lowly virgin, is the greatest in the kingdom. So then our Lord is greater than John. John prepared the way for the Christ, and John was the servant to the Christ who was greater than he. So notice why John was sent by God and why the crowds came out to hear him. It's because John was sent to prepare the way for Christ's first coming in great humility. John prepared the crowds in repentance as Christ came incarnate to die for their sins and our sins too. Now what we see as true for the crowds then is true for you today. What was true of John and the prophets before is what is true for pastors now. And here's what I mean. Like John, pastors are Christ's underlings, his servants, his ministers. And this is what St. Paul says in our epistle lesson for today in verses 1 and 2. He says, This is how one ought to regard us, that is, apostles and pastors, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Like John, pastors are not their own masters. They are not to come on the scene with their own agendas or their own visions for how the church will be built or grown. They are not to dream up and imagine their own mysteries from the recesses of their own minds and teach as if all of what they thought on their own was divine. For any pastor to do that, there will come a day of reckoning on which they must answer. Yet instead, pastors are to be like John, servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God, and stewards that are found to be faithful. Meaning that pastors serve Christ by teaching and administering the mysteries of God faithfully. So then, in order to be faithful, in order to be true servants, pastors have no choice but to teach the mysteries. That is, they are to teach the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery of the Incarnation, the mystery of Christ's death on the cross, which defeats death, the mystery of Christ being raised from the dead, the mystery of the Christ in our flesh ascending and ruling right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We can't explain any of it, but these are the mysteries handed down to us, which we must teach in order to be faithful. So then, in order to be faithful, pastors have no choice but to administer the mystery of baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the name of the triune God, not in the name of the mother, the daughter, and love, as some churches have perverted it, not in the name of the three gods of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as some other false religions try to teach it, but in the name of the one God in three persons, co-eternal, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So then, in order to be faithful, pastors have no choice but to administer the mystery of the sacrament of the altar by Christ's words. So then, pastors are not to teach that this sacrament is merely a symbol, because Christ's words plainly state, This is my body, this is my blood. We are not to let just anybody up at the altar when it's time for communion. 
but only the repentant who share one confession of faith. Likewise, pastors cannot just administer communion as they please. They cannot act as if we can bless the bread and wine over computers through the internet without being physically present. Because Christ and the apostles clearly show that only the saints who are physically gathered together may partake. Only pastors that are physically present may bless the elements. Everything else is a perversion. For you must understand, the mysteries do not belong to me as a pastor or any pastor. They are God's mysteries and His alone. He alone hands them to us. And of these mysteries, we are only, we pastors, are only stewards. It is only our job to teach and distribute these mysteries as they have been given to us. If I, as a pastor, were to try and define these mysteries myself, or if I were to try and distribute the sacrament in any way I desired, regardless of what our Lord commanded or taught, I would not be faithful to Him. Pastors, then, are called to be faithful servants of the Lord. They're called to be faithful stewards of God's mysteries. And it is to Christ alone, that I and any pastor are responsible, even if it means, as we hear about St. John the Baptist this morning, that we face persecution and prison. Which is why St. Paul goes on to say, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In other words... My dear, dear congregation, I am not your steward. I am not, first and foremost, your servant. Were I your steward so that you were the master, then I'd be asking all of you what I should preach. I'd be asking all of you how I should give baptism. I'd be asking all of you how I should distribute the Lord's Supper. I'd be asking all of you how I should conduct the divine service. Were I first and foremost your servant and you my master, I'd have all of you vote on preaching baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the service in a voters meeting. And dare I say it, were I your steward and you were the master, I would never confront you on your sins. I'd only preach what you what would make you feel good, and I'd only say what would scratch your itching ears? I'd only say what would make you happy and pleased with me. That's just like if John were the steward of the people, John the Baptist, if he were steward of the people. He'd never have called the Pharisees a brood of vipers then. He'd never call Herod out on his adultery. He'd never had wound up in prison or beheaded. But John, in our gospel, having Christ as his master, is in prison. And I stand before you as one who is not your steward, as if you were my master, but I am God's steward, Christ's servant. 
Here stands the temptation of every pastor and every congregation. There were many who wanted to make John the Baptist the Christ. And no doubt, there was probably temptation for John by it, though he always rebuked any thought of that. Likewise, the temptation for every pastor is to become not a servant of Christ, but a cult of personality in himself. He wants to become the chosen one who casts his vision for how the church is built instead of Christ. And also for the congregation, the temptation is to fall under the charming charisma and alluring vision of a pastor, to be gladly part of a, his cult, of a pastor's cult rather than Christ's communion, to be part of a pastor's vision rather than a member of Christ's church. Or the temptation for the congregation is to blame the pastor when the budget shrinks or the numbers drop or the vision doesn't seem to be working or if the music doesn't make you feel the warm fuzzies every Sunday. The temptation goes either way. If I or any pastor are unfaithful to the word, then congregations judge us by the word of God and defrock us right away. But if we pastors are faithful, then how you judge me outside of the word of God, is of very little concern for me, as it was very little concern for St. Paul. For like St. Paul, I don't even judge myself. You are not my master. I am not my own master either. You cannot declare me righteous, nor can I declare myself righteous. Only Christ can. But before our Lord comes, be careful how you judge a pastor who faithfully follows the scriptures. Look at John. Look at John the Baptist. He was only a prophet who should not have been thought of as being anything beyond being a prophet. But he was Christ's prophet. And for those who despised and murdered him, they were later judged. Likewise, pastors are only pastors. They should not be thought of beyond being merely pastors. I should not be thought of as anything but being merely a pastor. But we are Christ's pastors. And because it is Christ's office, those who are faithful ought not be despised. Because they are Christ's servants and God's stewards, not yours. Because Christ is their master not you. And this, while it sounds harsh, this is for your own good. For Christ came to fulfill the way that John prepared. He came to die for your sins and suffer your punishment on the cross. Christ came to defeat death with his death, to crush the serpent's head so that you may be forgiven and freed from your sin, freed from the kingdom of the devil, that you may be created a new Christ-instituted baptism, which unites you to his crucifixion and resurrection. And so that you may become his disciples, not only are you baptized, but he gives you his word so that you may be baptized and taught to become his disciples. And so you may be strengthened and one with him at all times, Christ gives you his body and blood at the altar. By Christ's death and resurrection, he gives you salvation and eternal life and delivers them through the word and sacraments. Knowing all of that then, looking at Christ crucified on the cross, whose steward do you want the pastor to be then? 
who do you want to be master of the pastor? Do you want the pastor to be his own master and steward, teaching you and giving you the mysteries of his own imagination and filthy heart and failed visions? That will not save you. Do you, the congregation, want to be the master of the pastor? For him to be the steward of your mysteries, whatever those might be. Do you want your pastor to only tell you what you want to hear, to tell you how great you are? Do you want the pastor to tell you how God accepts you just as you are without Christ, with your sin and all? Well, as a congregation, you could demand that. Congregations certainly have in the past. But ask yourselves this. If this were the case, if the congregation were the master of the pastor, would you be ready for Christ coming to you at the altar? If you were master over your pastor, congregations, would you be ready then for Christ's return in glory? You would not. But when a pastor is the steward of God's mysteries, when he is the servant first and foremost of Christ, and Christ is his master, then that is a pastor which can truly come to serve you, just as Christ came to serve in humility. Then that is a pastor which can truly prepare you for Christ's coming in the supper and in glory, just as John the Baptist and all the prophets prepared the crowds for Christ's first advent. When a pastor is the faithful steward of God's mysteries, then the pastor is declaring forgiveness, preaching the gospel, administering the sacrament, which are given by Christ crucified, not himself, not the congregation, but by Christ. Because all of this, forgiveness, the gospel, the sacrament, it doesn't depend on me or you. It is effective only by Christ's commission and authority, by his death and resurrection. The only thing we can claim as our own are our sins. It's the same way for pastors and congregations. The only thing that is truly our own is our sins. And for that, Christ sent John to the crowds and pastors to you so that we may repent and be ready when Christ comes to us at the altar or on the final day. So then, if I am faithful and repentant, if I as a pastor am faithful and repentant, embracing Christ's forgiveness, then what is it to me as a pastor who condemns me? What is it to me as a pastor who approves me? That's nothing. Because my only duty, the only duty of any pastor, is to be faithful and trustworthy. And the only one who can judge a pastor on being faithful is the master, Christ himself. And should I not be faithful in what I preach, or in how I practice, or in how I administer the sacraments, then may Christ use the church in his word to judge me as so, and to defrock me at once. And this one duty of the pastor, to be faithful, is for one purpose and one purpose only, that you, the people of God, repentant and forgiven, may be ready for Christ's coming. 
This was John's purpose. It was to prepare the way for Christ's first advent. And this is also the pastor's purpose, to prepare the way for Christ's constant advent at the altar and for his final advent in glory on the last day. So then, what did you go out to see in church this Sunday morning? Did you come out to see a reed chicken by the wind? That is, a pastor who will preach not on the scriptures, but on the winds of the culture or the winds of the congregation? What then did you come out to see? A man dressed in a nice, expensive suit and tie. <laughs> You'll be disappointed because the all this nothing really special to look at. What then did you come out to see this morning? A pastor. A simple pastor. Faithfully preaching the word of God and faithfully administering his sacraments. A pastor sent by Christ and used by Christ. So you may be prepared in his word and sacraments for his coming at the altar and on the last day. For that, may we rejoice and give thanks to God. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us, that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him, all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me, O God, a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Vouchsafe, O Lord, this day, to keep us without sin. O Lord, have mercy upon us, have mercy upon us. O Lord, let thy mercy be upon us, as our trust is in thee. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Lord, we beseech you, give ear to our prayers, and lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son, and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you, so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you, so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishment, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, 
from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for this Matins podcast for the third Sunday in Advent. And you are invited to join us again this Wednesday as we have our midweek Advent Vespers. That'll be released about 6.15 in the evening. And this Wednesday, we'll be wrapping up our midweek Advent series on the mystery of marriage. You're also invited to join us next Sunday again as we look to celebrate the fourth Sunday in Advent. We encourage all of our listeners to look us up on Facebook under Christ the King Lutheran Church or CTK Spencer. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, tell a friend, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listened. If you would like to be on our mailing list for the podcast or want to leave feedback, you can contact us on Facebook or at the email addresses listed at the top of the bulletin. That's all for this week. Until next time, go forth and serve the Lord. I am Pastor Michael McGinley, signing off.